0: Murderers, murderers, decoding the crime verse. Nine one one, what's your emergency? <laughs> Welcome to decoding the crime verse. I am Nozili and I am Danny. And,
1: and today, yeah, It's said. Guys, I actually guys, I was close to tears while I was doing this case. Bombings have—I don't know why—they always hit me really hard. I think anything to do with children. It just—I don't know. Bombings. I can do the serial killers, but whenever I do a bombing, it's like someone has punched me in the stomach. I don't know. Which it's is what I don't understand because no one punched her in the stomach
0: when we were doing the case of Edward Keene.
1: Why are we still bringing Edward Keene I'm up? i I don't saying. understand. And, anyway, and no so. one
0: punched her in the stomach when she realized that the Queen was behind her. Okay, and so
1: Keene. Oklahoma City lies at the geographic heart of America. It's probably the last place you'd pick to be targeted for destruction. But then came the morning of April 19th, 1995 with an act which remains the worst Act of domestic terrorism in American history. A hundred and eight sixty eight people were killed, at least six hundred and fifty injured. Among the dead were nineteen children. Yeah, so when the smoke began to clear, there were two questions which reverberated across the country. Who and why? The answers would be shocking as the man behind the devastation was an American named Timothy McVeigh. Timothy McVeigh was a war hero who had grown up in the suburbs of Buffalo. He was born on April 23, 1968, in the town of Lockport in upstate New York. By all accounts, he had an ordinary childhood and adolescence. He was a good student and above average intelligence. However, there was still a dark side. Whilst as a teenager, he had discovered the Turner Diaries, which was a racist novel about. An armed attack led by a white supremacist against an oppressive federal government. It describes a truck bombing the FBI headquarters in Washington, DC, so shortly after nine in the morning, which sounds almost identical to what took place in Oklahoma City on April the 19th, 1995. The explosion ripped apart the nine story Alfred P Murrah federal building. It was hit with a force of roughly two tons of TNT. The air inside it was whipped into a churning tornado of glass shards and choking black smoke. One floor pancaked onto the next, crushing and trapping men, women and children below. The lucky staggered into the streets, but some were barely alive. In those first frantic minutes, no one was quite sure what had caused the explosion. Initially, it was thought that it might have been a gas explosion because they had They had had to evacuate the office two to three weeks earlier because of a gas leak downtown. Some thought a war had started and the city had been attacked by another country. Some thought it had been an explosion from an atomic blast from an air force base. There were dog teams searching for survivors and for bodies. The blast radius was 16 blocks. That is hectic. I mean, 16 blocks. Yeah. Okay, but the Murrah building is, was ground zero. The Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco and Firearms was headquartered there. Social Security was located there and a child care center was located there. Yeah. Everything around the building was on fire. The cars were on fire. The street was on fire. The trees were on fire. 90 minutes after a blast, a new panic radiated through the streets as they came across what seemed to be a second bomb. Rescue operation was suspended and... A four-block radius, a um, four-block area was quickly evacuated. It was thankfully a false alarm, but precious moments had been lost. Investigators swarmed the area as what had seemed to be a freak accident was now, be, had been determined to have been caused by a truck bomb. Investigators got their first big break when they learned that the rear axle housing had propelled off the truck bomb and landed 200 yards from the bomb site. The axle housing contained the truck's confidential vehicle identification number. Using that number, they were able to to determine that the vehicle was a truck made for Ryder Rental Company. The truck was assigned to the Elliott Body Shop in Junction City, uh, Kansas, more than 200 70 miles north of Oklahoma City. FBI agents discovered that the truck had been rented two days earlier and the rental documents themselves showed that they'd been rented by Robert Bob Kling. An employee provided a detailed description and claimed another man had been with him. So, at this point now, they were looking for two suspects. Mm. Okay. John Doe 1 and John Doe 2. Less than 90 minutes after the blast, about 70 miles north of Oklahoma City, a state trooper named Charlie Hanger stopped a 1977 Mercury Marquis for not having a license plate. The driver of the car was one Timothy James McVeigh. He had a military-type appearance, but the state trooper soon realized he was carrying a concealed weapon and arrested him not realizing that his prisoner was the Oklahoma City bomber. Initially, the name McVeigh meant nothing to the bombing investigators as they were looking for Robert Kling. Law enforcement officers started their canvas, and one of the agents was assigned to the Dreamland Motel. When he walked in and talked to the owner of the particular place, he asked if anyone had been there in a rider truck and the owner was like, yes, there has been. Yep. They then showed her the sketch and she was like, this looks like the man who stayed in room 25 under the name Tim McVeigh. A record search was done to see if any Timothy McVeighs had been arrested anywhere in the United States recently. And to their surprise, they learned that a Timothy McVeigh had been arrested in Noble County for not having a license place just after the bombing in the morning of the bombing and yeah. that was what we were speaking about earlier it turned out that he was still there but getting ready to be released on bail but they put a hold on it until the agents could interview him when asked if they knew what wh- if he knew why they were there he responded Probably about the Oklahoma City thing. He gave his name, rank, serial number, and then refused to talk to anyone. However, John Doe number two still remained at large, but investigators were positive that John Doe number one was McVeigh. Yeah. On McVeigh's advanced driver's license, it, they had a home of a, the address of a man named James Nichols. And this was a critical development as Nichols' brother Terry had been a close friend with McVeigh since they'd served together in the army. Like McVeigh, Nichols was known to harbor anti-government views. An arrest warrant was quickly issued, but later that same day, Nichols actually turned himself in. By now, the rescue operation at the Mirror Building had become a recovery effort. The search for bodies lasted two full weeks. I mean... 14 days of looking for bodies. That's hectic. I mean, that's... That... uh, It breaks my heart. On the 5th of May, 1995, with three victims still buried in the rubble, the search came to an end. On April 21st, 1995, Timothy McVeigh was arrested and charged with the bombing of the Alfred P. Federal Building in Oklahoma City. So... He was appointed a public defender named Stephen Jones. Jones immediately rejected the possibility of insanity defense (laughs) because when uh, McVeigh was interviewed by several psychologists and psychiatrists, there was no obvious uh, evidence for mental disorder and emotional disorder. And he was rational and he knew what he was doing. So they led... So then if I mean if he's not this crazy schizophrenic person, yeah. what led him to become a domestic terrorist? By all accounts, and the early turning point for McVeigh comes in nineteen eighty eight when he joined the army. It always messes people up. War, I'm telling you. While stationed, I mean, think about all those soldiers, sorry, side note, um, that came back from World War One with shell shock mm. and PTSD. Yeah. I mean, they were never the same again. Yeah. And so many people who came back from Afghanistan, yeah. Vietnam, the soldiers that came back from Vietnam were
0: messed. And many of them say, like, the stuff they saw there. Like, they won't describe it, but they'll say the stuff they in saw Vietnam, there in Vietnam. Have never seen up. the
1: photo? They dropped this chemical on a. Somewhere in Vietnam that literally burns your, the clothes off. It burns the skin off of you. Ugh. There's literally a war photo of it. It's a famous photo of this little child and she's running naked mm. because her clothes were on fire and her skin is on fire and she'd ripped every, It's It was... Honestly, that is an injustice to human rights yeah. because those were c- civilians, yeah. not even... Yeah. So, while stationed at Fort Benning in Georgia, he and his roommate uh, created a bond with their platoon leader, Terry Nichols, who we were speaking about, and they shared the distrust for the federal government. During Operation Desert Storm in 1991, he was awarded a Bronze Star for Valor during his service as he had killed at least two enemy combatants. After returning from war, he wanted to join the Special Forces, but quit because he was physically unprepared, and he was discharged from the army on December 31st, 1991. Yeah. He drifted around the country, taking odd jobs and attending gun shows. But... He didn't seem to be very destructive until two tragic events happened in the early 1990s. The first was in August 1992 when the deputy U.S. Marshals and FBI agents were involved in a deadly confrontation in northern Idaho with an alleged white supremacist named Randy Weaver. Weaver was suspected for selling illegal firearms and during an 11-day standoff, Weaver's son and wife and the deputy U.S. Marshal were killed. Hmm. Then the second event was on February 28, 1990 which was following a gun battle between the ATF and members of a religious group called the Branch Davidians. Federal agents lay siege to the group's compound in Waco, Texas. A suspected cashier of illegal weapons was at the center of the controversy and during the assault on the April 19th, the Branch Davidian compound was engulfed with flames and at least 76 men, women and children died that's crazy and these (coughs) incidents enraged McVeigh Mm. he was convinced that the government had purposely murdered women and children at Waco and it was all part of an effort to destroy gun rights in America. This is when he decided that the government had gone too far and was going to start his own war, and the first strike would be aimed at the heart of the country. Mm -hmm. For McVeigh and his army buddy Terry Nichols, targeting a government building was dramatic and symbolic. They chose the Alfred P. Murray Federal Building in Oklahoma because it housed 14 federal agencies, including the Secret Service, the DEA, and the ATF, And they believe that the bombing would be opening conflicts against an illegitimate federal government that needed to be brought down to its knees. On August 10, 1995, a federal grand jury charged Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols with 11 criminal counts, including eight counts of murder. The figure was based upon the number of federal law enforcement officials that were killed in the blast. On April 24, 1997, two years after the bombing, the trial began and a timeline of events had been laid out. By mid-1994, McVeigh and Nichols, along with their friend Michael Frontier, whatever, were ready to put their plan into action. McVeigh decided that the most effective weapon would be a truck bomb. In September 1994, McVeigh and Nichols began stockpiling ammonium nitrate, a fertilizer often used in truck bombs. Yeah. Over the next <coughs> few months, the two men started quietly gathering more components, including racing fuel, explosive charges, and 544 blast caps. That December, McVeigh and Michael Fortier go, went to Oklahoma City uh, to case out the Marieville. The, yeah, they case out the building. They picked the date, the nineteenth, which was also known as Patriots Day. Yeah, and if you look back on Patriots Day, it was revered by many anti-government movements. It's apparently like the first day some shot was fired. I don't know. I don't, I'm i not American, so I don't know the history. Yeah. But the Waco siege happened exactly on that day, two years before. Yeah. So it's quite a... And apparently, a few years after, there was also something on this day. So guys, on the 19th of April, stay in your house. Stay, stay at, at home. home. Just stay at home.
0: Make sure your home is not near any government buildings, yeah, any funny shame. places.
1: At this point, Michael decided that he did not want to take part in the bombing. And in fact, later... Asked for a plea bargain if he testified against his co-conspirators. In March 1995, McVeigh created a fake driver's license with the name Robert Kling. On April 14th, McVeigh then bought the 1977 Mercury Marquis and used the car, and he used a car dealer in Junction City, Kansas. Now, here's my thing, right? So he made a whole fake thing to get the car, but then at the motel he used his real name. Yeah, that's confusing. When I like when I saw that he used his real name like, at the motel, I was like... We're smart enough to be getting cars and trucks under fake names and getting... Dri- but we, we we give our real name at the motel. Like, what? Hectic. And also, I think it was a bit stupid driving... He got arrested for not having number plates. Why didn't he have backup number plates? Like, why not just steal number plates off a different car? Like, I don't know. Why? You... you. Oh don't be dumb crim- don't be criminals but don't be dumb criminals <laughs> the next day McVeigh reserved the rider truck from the Elliott body shop on April 16, McVeigh and Nichols drove to mer- the Mercury to Oklahoma City and then parked it a few blocks away from the federal building removed the number plates and left a note which read not abandoned please do not tow will move by April the 23rd needs a battery and a cable Two days later, McVeigh and Nichols rendezvoused at the Jerry Lake Saint State Park near Junction City where they assembled the bomb in the truck. But at the last minute, Terry Nichols also bailed out. Mm. On the morning of April 19th, McVeigh, now on his own, drove the raider road- truck to Oklahoma City. At 8 57 a.m., security cameras at a Regency Tower apartment building a few blocks west of the federal building caught the raider truck parked across the street. Investigators then, kind of guess that this is where he lit the first fuse. Yeah. A few minutes later, he drove the truck to the north side of the federal building, where they believe he lit he lit the second fuse. He then exited he was brave, th- eh? Flippin' out. He then exited the truck and walked rapidly to his Mercury, parked four blocks away. At the federal building, obviously the workday was now starting, and hundreds of people were already inside. McVeigh was only two blocks away when the bomb detonated. Mm. I mean, you have to be brave. Yeah, you okay. But he made it to his getaway car and headed north on Interstate 35 when he was soon stopped because he was driving without plates. Among the items found in his arrest was a business card from a military supply store. On the back was a handwritten note, TNT at $5 a stick need more. Now some believe he actually wanted to get caught by leaving all these breadcrumbs so he could die kind of martyr style where there's like the shootout with the cops or something like that and become a hero. During his trial, Timothy McVeigh did not deny that he set the truck bomb, but he in, he instructed his lawyer that it was he claims that it was self defence against an oppressive federal government. However, 80. his lawyer was like, this is not going to stick. Mm-hmm. So then he argued that McVeigh was actually only part of, was part of a larger conspiracy and he was kind of just like the scapegoat. Yeah. Now, that was, now, this is one of the greatest mysteries of the Oklahoma City bombing. Were there more people involved? I mean, we've got John Doe number two, but neither of Terry Nichols or Michael fortier matched the description of this john doe yeah so actually investigators concluded that john doe number two never existed because they found someone who matched his description who had actually been into the shop a few days prior with someone else so you know when you like asked questions and you like you don't remember all the details and oh yes he was with him yeah or actually it it just you remember a face but it was just from a different day McVeigh swore that there was no John Doe number two. Some believe that the so-called Christian identity community in northeastern Oklahoma, which is about 175 miles from the city uh, near the Arkansas border was involved. The Christian identity community is essentially a religion that says white Anglo-Saxon Americans are the true children of Israel and Jews are subhuman and black people are not human at all. So typical racist white supremacist views. But if others were involved, why did McVeigh so strongly insist that he acted alone? Some believe he spun a series of lies to shield the others. Some believe that others did help him but did not directly know what he was doing and that the only three people who were aware of the plan were the three men, so Nichols, McVeigh and Fortier. Yeah. My thing is though, when Fortier and Nichols pulled out, why didn't they go to the cops? I think it was sort of a thing of like but they could have gotten off then because they listen this person's gonna yeah they would have gotten a
0: lesser sentence but then they i don't think they didn't want it not to happen i just think they didn't want to be involved anymore well
1: i don't know two years and 44 days after the worst domestic terrorist attack in united states history a verdict was rendered in the bombing trial of timothy mcveigh on june 2nd 1994 timothy mcveigh was found guilty of all eleven counts of murder and conspiracy, and was sentenced to death. Later that year, on December twenty-four, Terry Nichols was also convicted. He is currently serving life at Federal Supermax Prison in Colorado for cooperating. Michael Fortier received tw- a twelve-year sentence and is now part of witness protection because obviously people. Yeah. Wouldn't. On June 11, 2001, Timothy McVeigh was put to death at the Federal Correctional Complex in Indiana by lethal injection. It was the first federal in execution in 38 years. Hated. Up until his death, he never changed his mind or expressed regret or remorse. The rest of the mirror building was then demolished and a memorial was put in its place and the country became more cautious society. Barriers went up around federal buildings and the seeds for homeland security was planted. So this kind of then started up homeland security. Yeah. The attack led to significant engineering improvements that allow buildings to have a better, well, allow them to withstand extensive forces, whether man-made or natural. Yeah. And Timothy McVeigh believed that he was going to cause people to rise up and rebel against the government and was going to be the start of a revolution. And what happened was the total opposite as the communities were now in total support of law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Listen, when honest. you, honestly, I, I, I'm just sorry, before you speak, when you watch this docu- well, the documentary I was watching yeah. and it's all the camera footage of like people in the rubble yeah. and you see the smoke and yeah. you, it is just terrible. It's horrifying. And you see them like digging, oh no, it's horrible, yeah. it's horrible, it's horrible. Oh no, bombings, oh I
0: can't. I honestly believe that it was more than just him because like the amount of damage the bombing caused. Was, like, mm. for three guys to do that, I don't yeah, believe I, you it. you know what?
1: I always feel like there's always more to these yeah. stories. And I just... Oh, no. It's horrible. It's horrible.
0: And we see a lot of these things happen in America because, like... The guys... America's always in wars, first of all. And the guys that go to wars never come back the no, same. No, they don't... No
1: one comes home from war the same. I yeah. don't care what you... No one comes home from war the same. You are... I mean, the trenches in World War I and you are having bodies around you. All over. you are being shot at and shells are coming mm. at you. and You're seeing you people's body r- parts being blown off. You have rats eating at your feet and... I mean, you're telling me you're not going to come back messed? Yeah. Like, it's just, it, de- it it destroys. Obviously, you get the the consequence of actual physical death. Yeah. But you get such consequence of the people who come back. And I feel like they become... Why do you think so many veterans end up homeless on the street? They can't keep jobs. They, they can't work. Because they're so messed in the head. Yeah. But also, what was I going to say? I don't
0: know. Oh, I remember. But also, like, if you look at it, they get numb to death because they see death all over. So this so guy probably ma- didn't care. I mean, he probably looked at it so, and he was like, so, so what? So many
1: cases on the show where yeah. they've had military past yeah. or they've served in the army. Yeah. So, so many. And I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not surprised he went after federal Building. Yeah. It's the whole disillusionment with with, the, with patriotism where you go in believing, you're fighting for your country, yeah. and you're so proud, and then you see this, and yeah. it just rips that idea apart, yeah. and you start to hate the government. There's a poem by Ezra Pound we did in high school. It was all about the how when people came back from like World War II, how they were now disillusioned yeah. with the government, hence the hippie age that came <laughs> from it. <laughs> um, but I mean... There were kids. Yeah. There was a daycare there. Yeah. And you knowingly put that bomb there. Yeah. I mean, I can't. Yeah. I can't. It's crazy. I mean, you literally, you watch the videos, you just see the building and the destruction. But the one lady said that the wall literally, like, came on top of them. And then the one girl said she just started feeling like pinpricks. And it was shattered glass. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's A A bombing can cause so much damage.
0: Yeah. I honestly believe he... It wasn't just the three of them. And I believe he couldn't have acted alone, like, on the day. I don't believe that he acted alone on the day. Because that's just too much work but he's also very brave to light a fuse and to get back in the truck and to no, light never, the second no, no, fuse no, and to get back that. in the truck you
1: parked your car four blocks four no blocks and you know that fuse is going yeah you know, and, and he was only two blocks away when it went off yeah, so why this did you man. not plan for more time nah. like, on, uh, oh no i have uh-uh. no. No, no, no 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 no, not for me no thank you he could
0: have honestly been a scapegoat. I don't believe he acted alone. It's just too—it's too much damage for someone who acts alone. I've—I've I've seen bombings where the person acted alone, mm-hmm. and they don't cause this much damage. Yeah. it's just way too much damage.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah. Well, that is all for this week. Um, we will see you next time. But from now until next time, no mourning, no funerals. <laughs> Like what you're listening to?
0: Follow us on Twitter at ActiveFM, Instagram at activefm 7 and Facebook at Four Slash ActiveFM.